Glenn and Tough Rugby Podcast, we have Rob Rees back on to discuss all things Wales. We look at Warren Gatlin's comments in terms of has his squad been left too old. We discuss Ken Owens being captain and Cam Wales, if they get an early win against Ireland, be on for a triple crown. Tell for also discussing Callum Sheedy. Where has he gone to? What's happened to him? And the return of Owen Williams, the exile coming back with his form of the Ospreys. Does he deserve some game time this Six Nations? We do our predictions too, and I'm sure you'll like to hear how we leave you and review and see you then. Hello, welcome back to Top Row Podcast. Please tonight, got the usual man back in studio. Zachary, how are you? Very well, Telf. Um, another week, kind of feeling pretty, pretty down after the Ulster's results at the weekend. But, uh, but sure, you know, <laughs> what can you do? Just gotta keep, gotta keep focusing on the future. Gotta keep focusing on the Six Nations. Don't dwell on on Europe too much. But this week we're 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 on to Wales now, so. There's no better man than to get Rob back on. Rob, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's uh, yeah, good to have you on. Last time we had you on, obviously, uh, PVAC's job was on the line and there was a lot of chat about Gatlin returning and lo and behold, it, it has happened. So, first of all, how, how did it feel to hear that news and do you feel he's settled back in? Obviously, with Eddie Jones flying around, it doesn't feel like it's got a Tremendous amount of airtime Gatlin come back. It kind of felt like he was never away, to be honest. I seen him do an interview today and just came up, Warren Gatlin head coach, and then I started to realise, yeah, he is the head coach again. Yeah, it's um I think it's one of those ones, it was it was a shock to absolutely nobody. And I think as we touched upon it last time I was on, that it probably was the right choice short term. Um, whether he's the right right choice to take us to the next World Cup after that is is probably going to be decided within the next 12 months. But um, no, I, th- I think there's a lot of positivity around at the moment. Generally around the international scene, we've got Gatlin coming in. He's going to solidify things. The squad is, is a fresh look. A few more coaching changes, I think, than most people probably expected to take place. Obviously, three additional coaches coming with Gatlin. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fresh feel, and I think it, it is an air of positivity out of the Six Nations. But I think it's, it's realism at the moment, rather than um, hope of, of of any major upsets and, and titles. Yeah, and I guess the first big decision that he had to make was naming his captain, and I wanted to get your opinion on who you would have went for. And he's obviously gone for Ken Owens, and me and Zach were laughing before we came on air, just saying he's probably the most underrated legend of this uh, kind of era you know Dylan Hartley, Rory Best he, he's right up there with these legendary hooking, hookers in the nor- Northern Hemisphere kind of ones Yes, I mean you look at the the rugby that he's played there's, there's not many hookers with a better CB over the last few years or the last 10 years in Northern Hemisphere rugby and I, I don't think it's, a, it's an entire Shock. I personally only gone for Dan Bigger um, as as the captain, but I think the reason that Ken has perhaps come as a slight outsider to this is is the lack of game time that he's had. Mm. I mean, he's come back after a, a long layout this year, and and his first game back was with Kamal and Quinns rather than the Scarlets, which tells you just how long he's actually been out. 
that he needed just 40 minutes at a semi-professional level. I think that's probably why it's come as a bit of a surprise or more of a surprise than it would have if he'd been a regular. Because as you say, the man is an absolute legend on the field. He's become a cult hero, a sheriff and all that. And, and he's, a, you know, he's a really nice bloke and embodies probably what you want from your typical Welsh rugby player. So it, he's not a... a bad choice and, and certainly even though he wasn't my initial pick he's, he's certainly someone I could definitely get behind and I'm interested to see how that translates into into Wales' on-field tactical nuance around around the referee and, and in hmm. terms of the, the Hooker department would you say he's kneeled on to start obviously he's been captain it would suggest so but that's what I know why you're saying Dan Bigger because obviously that's why Alan Jones maybe not even Tipperick with a lot of the young sevens pushing through. Whereas if you were going to pick a definite starter, it would have been Dan Bigger. So naturally that that would lean to being captain. So do you think Ken Owens is nailed on that? Because there's a few good young hookers coming through. Is it probably he probably is now before and you'd have you'd probably argue Derry Lake if you could get fit was was probably your, your full man. Um but I think given the, the captaincy selection, I think Brad Roberts and and, and Derry Lake are going to come in behind him at, at some point. Obviously, we've lost Elias through injury, so he wasn't going to be up for the squad's squad selection. And, and I think this is all where it comes to be a bit more interesting. Where Ken's kind of come in this season. He's had to fight for his place back in the Scarlets squad. He's back in the Welsh squad now, and it's kind of like, well, hang on a minute. He's, he's back with a bang. So, obviously, Gatlin likes what he sees. On, on and off the fields, and and I think the captaincy will probably remove that final question mark. And and following last year's Italy result, I don't think you're going to see the usual rotation around that that game either. So he could well be captain for, for all five games, but more than likely probably starts for four of those. In terms of Gatlin then coming back, he made kind of bold comments this week, stating that in terms of if he was there, if he was there three years ago, he the edge profile of the squad would be absolutely lower, is what he came out with, which is a big claim to make. And me and Zach were saying when you look at the selection in terms of who he's brought in, he still has picked a lot of experienced players, other than maybe Jonathan Davis, in terms of if you were looking at kind of an analogy a bit like the last dance where you're bringing all the boys back for one final hurrah. So it's interesting that he has still gone with, you know, like Halfpenny, Alwyn Jones, Dan Bigger, Tipperick. He still picked a lot of the old players, but he's still saying that he wanted a younger squad. And obviously there's a few new caps in there. Reese Davis, Teddy Williams, Kieran Williams and Mason Grady. So who are those new caps do you think he's looking at to, definitely blood or are they all just there for kind of experience and where will, where is this young blood that Gatlin's crying out for where where is it going to come in and what departments so I think the, the big the big question for me is what role does Teddy Williams play in this squad and whether does Reese Davis's inclusion put him I mean if you look at it Reese probably is slightly ahead in terms of getting that Welsh cap but is Teddy Williams now going to feature in one one of these tests, or is he going to be the player? Because I do think that the centre partnership that we're going to see, Tom Inns North, is probably going to lead the way. 
And then, then you think, well, does do we see the likes of, of Grady and, and Kieran come in and start getting into that Welsh role? How do you balance out five centres in the squads? 37-man squad is larger than what, what everyone imagined. And it's allowed you to pick five players in, in a couple of positions. And I think it is. It is looking down and going... Is Kieran Williams going to be the man he's looking for for an impact early doors? And does he want to just get Grady in there for some game time to see how he fits in with the role? Because I think Gatlin's type of player is probably, sorry, Gatlin's type of game plan is suited that Kieran Williams is that type of player in terms of how he plays the Ospreys. He's that big ball carrier rather than a big man who can step around you sort of thing. So I think we're going to see... The Blues boys, or sorry, Cardiff Rugby boys now, um, come in and probably play a bit more of a a deputy kind of role. And and if, if they get any game time, it's going to be very limited. With the Ospreys lads are probably going to be the ones coming in and, and featuring for that that one test or off the bench a few times as well. Mm. It is interesting, like one thing that's reoccurring, especially in series and Six Nations, and it's kind of unique, I suppose, to rugby, is um, the centre partnership often is kind of, you know, course um, horses for courses. Do you think Gats will kind of employ a similar thing, or do you think it'll just be Tonkins North will just be the centre partnership throughout the throughout the five games that they'll play in the Six Nations? Um, I don't think they'll start all five um, fitness withstanding I think we'll probably see him four times and I'm, I'm interested to see what he thinks of um, and what he does with Joe Hawkins in particular obviously yeah. already been blooded through through Pivak but I think we we know that Tompkins is on, is on absolute fire North is having a really good season and I think those two are probably we know what we're going to get with those especially in the gap and obviously North is mm, he's the man definitely know and it's one of those, especially how we've got the five, how much meddling do you do? Because as we saw last year, you, you don't want to meddle around, as I referred to the Italy fixture. Normally, you can make eight, nine changes to your starting 15 and get away with it. I don't think we can do that at this time, which probably lends itself to Joe being a, the centre cover on the bench for a couple of games. And then whether we, we target Scotland and Italy as being the fixtures to try and bring in Kieran Williams on the bench. Because I, I can't see with a 37-man squad how you give everybody enough game time. And, yeah. and unfortunately, I see that falling back on, on a centre Mason Grady to really not fall away because it, that, that's a bit harsh, but he's probably going to be the one that's in there for a for a learning reason and development on that front. And probably similar Terry Williams up front, providing injuries obviously don't don't come in at some stage. But I think, especially at centre, I, I think we're probably going to see Joe Hawkins come off the bench um, for, for the majority of the tests and Hero Williams be the test tester. Although I, I will be interested to see if, if he goes with, one playmaker and one one run up runner at some stage. And I'd like to see Joe Watkins break in for a start in one of those games because I think it can really change it up, especially as uh, we've got the likes of, of Dyer, 
in the squad now. I mean, Lewis Resalant's fitness obviously is is questionable for for the starting fixtures, but will will come into play towards the end. And I think that's where you're going to see perhaps game game week four and five might be the best option of, of seeing some of these new lads. Yeah, but it's interesting as well. You say there's not really an obvious pick. It's more, yeah, as you were saying, the new people that PVAC blooded and probably with those comments about kind of that speed be lower, it is interesting, like, because he's probably going to use a lot of those players that PVAC identified, like Sean Raphael's one that turn up trees for Tigers and is probably the most informed seven coming into the, well, other than Josh Van Flair coming into the Six Nations. So that comment is kind of interesting in terms of who he goes with because it does seem that he will promptly go, do you think, with the tried and t- tested? And I wonder, does that comment maybe lean itself towards Alan Jones, do you think? And then he doesn't want that bomb now of having to lose potentially Alan Jones before a World Cup and the media storm that will come with it because that's the only obvious candidate I can see because Jonathan Davis was kind of already got pushed aside and people have done that quite like I'm a big fan of you know the, the these proper legends need to be given and a proper nice send off you know they're they're not it's not like they can't play anymore so they can be ushered shall we say to the side nicely we, I know we're not all going to get the Brian O'Driscoll bigs 900 send-offs but yeah do you think Alleman Jones is still can offer something and do you think he will use him as main man, especially bringing in two young locks. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's really comes to, although I think it was, it was what, Russ Petty posted an interesting stat for him. There was something like 31 players pivot the capped in, in the last three years. So all this, the Gatland has, has sort of criticised the older players still being around. But yeah, obviously pivot has been captain players and, and bringing in players at a tremendous rate. But I think it's been well documented for a while and it's always had a question mark of is this Alan Jones's last Six Nations? Is it his last autumn? And he always makes that appearance and he's always involved and people are going, okay, this man's going to go to the World Cup now. And it's it's kind of, you, you want to utilise him in some capacity. I mean, you might not, you, you know, not all players make a great coach. Everyone says, oh, you know, bring him in as a coach. He might not want to do that. He might not be any good at that. But you can still utilise him in the squads. We saw towards the end of the autumn, he go back to playing some of his better rugby after a bit of a, a lean patch by his standards. And I think we're going to see him rotated quite a bit. But I think it's interesting that we see this, this ideology around the older players and perhaps bringing in a few more youngsters for Gatland because I think it'll probably be the last we see of the likes of Ken Owens that's that will come here. Um, so how does he manage the rotation there? Obviously, we've got a World Cup warm-up games yet. There's a lot of rugby to be played, but how quickly do you start rotating Derry Lake and Brad Roberts into the picture um, this year? The back row, as you say, Raffle. You've got Jack Morgan, obviously, I think is probably going to be the one that he's bringing in. But again, how you know, do you go with a Tipperick who's been absolutely outstanding for the Ospreys this mm-hmm. season? And it's just getting better and better since since his return. I think Falatau is going to be your ball carrying number eight, but I think it's you're going to see the, some familiarity from Gatlin. I mean, we've seen the likes of Reese Webb back in there, 
after years cast adrift because he didn't want to be anything other than the first choice. As his opinion changed, as Gatlin's opinion changed on who the number one scrum half is. And, you know, Aaron Wainwright's come back in. Obviously a great line-out option. You can ball carry at eight. He offers that gritty six, depending on where you want to put him. So I think we're going to see a lot of familiarity off off Gatland. And I think with some names, you know, probably try and juice the last bit of them before the, the World Cup, so to speak, where you're going to put them in and say, listen, boys, this is it. This, you know, realistically, you're not going to be with us come 2024 Six Nations. So do your bit now. Mm. Yeah, uh, Zach, you, you enjoyed that analogy of the kind of last dance and getting all the boat the mm. band back together for one more one more bit of fun. Yeah. So, and he does even like Cerise Webb and uh, Liam Williams is injured, but Liam Williams back. It does like it's not a new coach in in the such that these guys don't know him. So I don't know Zach what your opinion is on this squad makeup. And I think you were surprised to see the likes of Lee Halfpenny in and people like that is where the obvious changes would be made. But he seems to want that. Spine, so I think he might drop a few big selection stuff post Six Nations towards the World Cup, and that's when the big shock emissions will happen. Because as we know, he is not afraid to drop an Alan Jones right before a World Cup, for example. Yeah, it's interesting. Like for me, like the the Jonathan Davis not being in the squad kind of stands out. I feel like if you're really going to complete the last dance analogy you kind of need him in so it's kind of <laughs> I feel for him like but um but yeah it it's it, I look I'm like I've got the squad up in front of me here and it just kind of seems as if like it's gonna be cast your mind back you know three four years ago to the to the Gatlin era and, and and things I don't know Rob like what do you think especially like Jonathan Davis do you think it's fair enough to leave him out yeah I think I think unfortunately for, for John, you, you look at his form. Yeah, it's just not been the last two years. Yeah. It has gone off a cliff domestically and internationally when he had his chance. And I think he's, you know, the likes of Tipperick have, have had poor games. Alan and Jones have had poor games and poor spells. They've always seemed to bounce back and deliver a massive 80 minutes at some stage. And they go, okay, these guys have got another, another tournament mm-hmm. in them. I, I just don't think that Jonathan Davis has provided us with that. I yeah. think that's where perhaps Ken Owens has, has come in and and kind of probably in terms of performances, because of his injury, his injury layoff has probably been the one that has got away with it the most. You know, mm-hmm. a long-term layoff. There's nothing when the likes of Elias was playing really well, Derry Lake was playing really well prior to his injury. You know, it's all of a sudden, Ken Owens had a lot of work to do just to get into that three hookers. And I, I think we're going to see, I think there's going to be, as you say, a, there's going to be someone who's, who's dropped as a casualty. Who's going to be the scapegoat? I'm, I, you, you probably too early to tell. It probably will come down to if someone has a really bad tournament or the impact that Gatlin sees compared to someone domestically. Um, I'm slightly surprised at, at Priestland, although maybe he is looking at a, a Another fifteen option with Liam Williams out the moment, but yeah, because even even going down to like series places, it is a proper proper throwback of a lot of his tried and tested test that he knows. Yeah. And another one is, what do you think of Owen Williams? We were saying, Zach, that 
when he first broke on, he was the man at, at Tigers and Wales were crying to get him back because this guy was the real deal. And he, he started really strongly for Wales and he's kind of forgotten man and that Amscombe injury. And then I think he's gone with his four from four straight in, four wins from four and looking like a real good option again and someone that I feel that Gatlin could get the best out of one of those players that maybe not as familiar to kind of the casuals but like a proper proper rugby player Do you know what I'm a big fan of Williams and for years he's been the exile you you think about the players that people always refer to for the last 10 years who's the one player that's been in England he's been capped but he hasn't featured enough for what his form is. And most rugby fans will probably end up with Owen Williams somewhere as one of their first names that they, they reel off. You know, as you say, his, his time at Gloucester, his time at Leicester, there was always top quality form. He's always done something somewhere, but he's he's never quite favoured. He's come back in into it at some stage and then never got never got capped again. Um, but I think as you say. The, the untimely injury to Anscombe, he's come in um, with unfortunate going-ons down at Worcester. And, mm. and, and as you say, his form has been through the roof. I mean, a couple of, well, probably a week or so now, I, I tweeted to say, oh, Williams had to be in there. You know, he is, him and Dan Bigger are the two best fly-offs we have at the moment. And if anything, is is Costello is probably the unlucky one missing out with, with Priestland, which is probably one of those decisions, again, we, we go, you know, as Gatlin kind of contradicted himself here, blaming Pivot for not binning off a couple of the older generation, but then not, not wanting to do it himself to a player that Gatlin's binned off himself after some some torrid times in a Welsh jersey for, for, for Reese. So I think it's great to see Owen in there. I, I just hope that he does get that, that recognition of, in terms of game time, obviously we're not going to see him at 12, which has been an option for him for a long time. Is always, he comes in, he offers our playmaker role. I don't think he's in as a playmaker role now because of the centre options and because we've got five centre options. So I think I think we're going to see him at 10. I hope he gets at least one start. But I think it'll be interesting to see. I think he's, he's probably going to be a very good impact player for games. Mm. Bigger's going to play 60 minutes kick the ball off the park, try and pin your islands back, your, your France's back, and really make it a close game. And then if you start to get a bit of ball in hand, Owen Williams comes on, you know, you've got your Rio Diaz or your Lewis Rees-Samets, if, if, if he's fit, you know, you've got these dangerous players, Joe Hawkins coming off the bench. Yeah, the young lads, they they, they got nothing to fear. And I think Owen Williams could be that little bit of a cog that just ignites us in that Final 20 minutes, which is where we've lacked compared to the Springboks, the All Blacks, even Ireland and France of, of late for for many, many years now. Mm-hmm. And then what about, like, I think, I think you're spot on. Like, this could be Owen Williams kind of coming of age almost, just very late. You know, we can discuss the various reasons. But someone who kind of has been very much part and parcel of the Wales squad for the past few years now, Callum Sheedy. What's your what's your thoughts there on on yeah. him? You know, someone who came on, it was almost seen as like the 
heir to the number 10 jersey in a sense that as an outsider looking in that's kind of what it looked like and then now you know he's not even getting a look in either like what um what do you think's going on there yeah i think you know he was he was billed as his child prodigy i think and i think a lot of it was bristol at the time were playing some very good rugby yeah. Yeah. and in a quick turnaround bristol hadn't been this dominant force for 10 years they turned it around relatively quickly and, you know, Welsh names were at the heart of that, you know, the likes of Dan Thomas, you know, Lloyd. Yeah, you and Lloyd, Lloyd's another one, like, he was in the mix as well, and I think a lot of questions, what is his actual position? Maybe it's holding him back. Yeah. And I, that's that's probably a really good point on, on Lloyd, he's, he's, he's bounced around a lot, Bristol haven't really found where they want to put him because of their quality around the park. I think that's probably where it's hurt Sheedy is, he was the fly-off that had to go back during fallow weeks because of the international window agreement. And that, that hurt his chances of being in and around the Welsh squad short-term because he was never going to get in above your handscums and above your biggers because they were simply having more game time. They were more established. And I think, unfortunately for Callum, is we've seen Bristol's... I wouldn't say demise, but probably a bit bit harsh and a bit hyperbole perhaps but they, they're playing some really bad stuff in the, in the league at the moment and that's probably bumped them down the league uh, down the table in terms of fly half depth when you consider the three players that are in there are all playing really good stuff I mean Gareth Hanscom has played when fit better rugby as well I mean Jared Evans is kind of ebbing and flowing in, in terms of how much he's he's thought upon or frowned upon by the Welsh setup, but again, playing some good stuff. Costello, another one that's playing well, but left out. So all of a sudden, Sheedy doesn't get in the top five fly halves without the question mark. You know, and he, he, could he be seventh right now? So as soon as you're that, as soon as you're that far down the pecking, realistically, coaches stop looking at you in as much detail they know what they want to take forwards. Obviously, Gatlin's going to have an eye on, on Anscombe when he comes back. He's got his three lads that he's obviously brought in. And Costello, he's going to be watching right now. So, whether he watches Jared Evans, he's in Wales. You can bring him in and have him at the full attention of, of the training camp whenever he wants, if, if he was going to come to that. I think, realistically, Callum Sheedy is now down in, what, seventh? And that's, again, that's going to be, through no fault of his own, another detriment to his selection going forward. And he could be one of these Owen Williams-style players where he has a couple of caps under his belt. A, a lot of good form might come his way domestically in the years to come, but he'll always be that one that that's misses out. And I think because of, of he quickly burst on the scene, a lot of the Welsh rugby public that perhaps don't follow rugby week in, week out, automatically say, oh, what about that Bristol lad? He was playing really well. Was playing really well. And yeah. now... Yeah, no, form is, form is everything. It's so hard to get back, and especially with AJ McGinty being down there. Mm. It's hard enough for him even to get, get a run at, get a run down in Bristol because of that. So, and especially, yeah, form is everything. And as you say, with someone that isn't in Wales and obviously likes it bigger, he's the 60 cap role, is great for him. Obviously, he deserves it well over 100 caps. That's another thing before we kind of get on to the the fixtures and predictions is Gatlin was saying how Will Rollins now 
going off to Racing, he was saying that he wants to be able to select these players and because the regions are unable to pay them what they deserve, that shouldn't be of the detriment of Wales. Do, do you feel that you will see a lot of a clear out now and you've said about Corey Hill, wanting to be able to pick him and Gatlin will just get to pick whoever he wants, you know, bigger out in, out in Toulon might just start setting the trend for the Welsh lads to go and get the money where they deserve. Yeah, I think it's been one of those question marks for a long time, you know, the Welsh selection policy, the 60 captain, Gatlin's or whatever you want to call it at different varying times. Big as the first player in, I think, since 2020, Reese Webb was at Toulon to be selected for the Welsh Six Nations. Um, it's an interesting one. I, I don't begrudge the lads from, from moving away from Wales right now. Dan Big is going to get job security in France. Toulon's a lovely part, part of the country to be in at, on top of that. And these boys need financial security. I mean, Will yeah. Rowlands has left, got himself some financial security elsewhere. If he was still sat in Newport right now, he, he wouldn't have a contract renewal. And that's, yeah. what it, that's what it comes down to. And in full cycle, people can say, well, the 60 cap rule doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't, but that's only because the 60 cap rule in terms of keeping players in Wales only works if the professional clubs are sufficiently and correctly funded. Mm. Because you can't expect the side with a shoestring budget and that doesn't know their budget by February, nearly, and, and it probably will run in February. You, you can't expect them to be able to keep these players with 60 caps because, as, you know, as we know, regular internationals cost, cost big fees. And that's why it is it's struggling to be such a pull as it was because of that financial instability. And I think... Is it right to, to get rid of it? Probably not. At the moment, I don't think it would be beneficial to get rid of it. Decrease it, I think, would probably be an option they should look at short term. Okay. Say 50 or 40 caps. That's still a prolifically capped player. You have to have been at international level if you play every game in, in a year for four years. That's one full World Cup cycle that player has given you which could possibly be two World Cups, depending on when they were first capped. So I think reducing the amount of caps required is probably something that needs to be looked at short term until the pro clubs are actually funded to be able to, to turn around the damn bigger and say, well, here's a chunk of money. Why didn't you come to us? In, you know, instead of going to France, yeah. you could turn to Will Rowlands and say, what are France offering him? What are Japan offering him? what might England offer you, you know, and we say, right, we can't quite match that, but use use 75%, you're pretty, probably going to be in that Wales squad, Will. You know, think of the match fees on top of that, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, it balances out the mass wide pull starts to work again. But for that to happen, the, the clubs just need to be able to, to have a budget, <laughs> at least a budget just, just they know what they work into, but until we get to that stage, um, I think that the, the 60 cap policy will continue to, to work less efficiently. And I think we'll, we'll always see these, these arguments every time someone moves. You know, mm -hmm. we saw it with Charteris, we, we saw it with Falatel at Bath for a little while. We, all these little caveats into, you know, when they could pick two players that were playing abroad. And 
it'll always come up and there'll always be people that say he's got to go, he's got to stay. I think at the moment we need to find some compromise with it for it to work work efficiently. But was it was it was it Francis over in Exeter that had like fifty odd, like only a couple away, and then he had to come back to the Ospreys, like things like that. You gotta yeah. sometimes play it. It is, and it's unfair on how on how it mess around players. You look at Jonah Holmes was told he had to come back to revive his Wales hopes, was in the Wales 38 sort of thing, and then was unceremoniously dumped out of that, and he's, he's come to the Dragons, and, and now he's gone again. And and this is why, you know, the players don't want to take that risk, and, and the clubs can't take that risk. So we see it a lot, unfortunately, because is the, you know it is a major topic when... And the likes of bigger moves to to tour on, but the money he's on is more than a tenth of the budget of of the, the highest funded region in Wales. You know, yeah. it's realistically uncompetable where we are at the moment, where we can't even turn around to the guys on academy contracts just had their first pro contract and say, "Well, we don't know if we're going to be able to afford you next year." So. And I think that's that's where we sit with it. And the problem is the people who ultimately miss out aren't the ones with the most expensive contracts. They're not the ones with the cheapest contracts. They're that middle ground, which is probably going to be your players with 20 to 40 caps. And they're the ones then that say, well, listen, you know, I, I can't afford to stay, but I don't really want to go. And I think that's mm. where they're going to start missing out. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it is a fascinating topic. And... Even at even at X, you're seeing the max the mass ex, exodus now. It's, yeah. it's a bigger yeah. topic, rugby and salaries and everything. So that's pod for another day. But in terms of the Six Nations preview and looking at it now, Zach and I were saying before you came on, like Gatland could win that first game against Ireland. It it it's looking nice in terms of the draw for Wales to it, it to be on. So how important do you think that starting well is and the fact that he's got a home game against an Ireland team where, let's face it, Wales have got nothing to lose because Ireland are coming with number world number one tag and all this and that. And it reminds me a lot of the England game in 2019 where Ireland, where England came to the Aviva and I remember thinking, like, there's no chance that this Ireland team are the greatest I've ever seen and then... Um, it was the famous the start of the start of the decline before that World Cup. So, do you feel that that is one for taking? And if Gatland get off to a good start, there's a chance of genuine silverware, or is it very much developmental, free or two or three wins? It it probably does come down to our opening weekend against Ireland in terms of, of silverware. I think you lose that opening game with the likes of England, France still to come, you're asking too much then to realistically want to go and, and top these these top sides, especially the likes of Ireland, who've already got to step up on who from, from the get-go. But I think that we are, we're being underestimated slightly. I think it's not going to be a, a blowout. And we all know Gartland is the master of pulling massive results and pulling yeah. results that should be blowouts and turn them into close games. You know, he likes this big game. This is like knockout rugby. You know, this is like a European quarterfinal sort of thing. Is 
one game that's going to make or break. If you lose, effectively, the championship's over. You know, the Triple Crown's gone. Grand Slam is gone. The, the, the Six Nations is gone. You're fighting for internal goals then, sort of thing. If you can stick with Ireland over that first 40 minutes, all of a sudden, more and more doubts will creep in. Maybe not in the Irish players' minds themselves, but everyone will start thinking, well, I'm all a minute. This is a Welsh squad this year to do business. And I think the pressure's, the pressure's off us. No one really knows what to expect. Gatlin's come back. Will he live up to the hype that he had before? Will it be as disappointing as Wayne Pivot's tenure ended up being? So that could well be something that's, that really benefits Wales. And we all know that Gatlin loves these one-liners to get pressure off his players. Well, at the moment, he doesn't have to come up with these lines. So he's sat there right now, scribbling in his notebook, watching film of Ireland's 15th tier rugby, making notes on a player who, who played years ago because he's really going to try and drill this in now mm. and, and find any little bit of detail that could help get that three points that, that, that could be vital. Do you think, Rob, like... In terms of silverware, do you think that is the the aim? Like, like I'm looking at the fixtures here. I mean, like you said, that a crunch game at the start against Ireland is, is is so important. But away to Scotland, like not the best Scotland and Murrayfield, you kind of be fancying your chances. And then at home to England, you could after round three have the triple crown wrapped up. Is that a realistic aim? You know, in terms of momentum going forward in the World Cup, we've won something. You know, we've got belief back. Um, what, what, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's, it's something that I've been saying for, for a number of years before France became actually good again, was you'd have years, you'd have winnable years and you'd losable years, which basically meant you'd have Ireland and England at home one year, and then you'd have all the blue teams at home the next year. And and obviously travelling to Ireland and England or hosting them was a massive difference to, in terms of how you'd approach yeah. them. I think the way the fixtures are now England and Ireland at home, probably the second, third best teams possibly entering, entering the tournament. If you can, like I said, get a couple of wins there. Murray feels always a tough one to go to, but is, is certainly a winnable fixture. And I don't think the Scottish squad, especially with the likes of Darcy Graham missing out, you know, that's going to be massive in terms of losing one of your best, if not the best player. And a triple crown is realistically feasible. It is is approachable and, and something to aim for. As you say, you can get that up, up, up and dusted within three rounds. You don't have to worry about, about anything else. You know, is and it'll all come down to how we can manage Ireland, I think. And, and that'll depend on the Six Nations title for us as well. If we can manage Ireland, it'll show that we're actually a team that can see out fixtures. I think under pivot, we kind of lack that that game plan. It was use a blank whiteboard, scribble something on it, and do it. Gatland is kind of use a whiteboard with something already written on it, and if you flip the whiteboard around, if you're not doing so well, well, there's your second game plan is already written on there, and you didn't even know about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're going to see against Ireland is we're going to see the Scotland team of, of old. There's a confidence back, even the way you're speaking now. Like, there's just something about him that 
it's just like, yeah, he's back, we win. And it's true, his record in Six Nations is the best. It's undeniable. And he said it's a harder job in 2008. And I don't know, is he just firing out these lines just to try and lure us in? Because he's got the squad, he's got the fixtures. As Zach said, Zach, I'm thinking about this triple crown now uh, being lifted. That's <laughs> After England. <laughs> and it is, it's not out of the question whatsoever. It's not. This is, you know, it's surprising what a coach can do to lift spirits outside of camp more than anything. The prime example I can think of from another sport is when Kenny Dalglish came back to Liverpool. Was it yeah. 10, 12 years ago now? You know. Won the League Cup, you know. One of one of the all-time legends of the cop. He comes in, Liverpool are in the relegation zone, he gets him out of the relegation zone, takes him to the top half of the table, lifts the League Cup and loses in the FA Cup final. And it's kind of just but before he even got to that stage. The fans were behind him because he was a no, he was a known name, he was a loved name. I don't think Gatland is quite as loved by Welsh fans as Kenny Dalglish is by Liverpool fans, but it's still that kind of yeah. This man knows what he's doing. He's you know he's brought in some very shrewd signings. You 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 ask the average Joe public, and they probably wouldn't be able to name the Welsh attack coach or the Welsh defence coach. I mean. You know, Forshaw, I think, is, is a very smart signing, and it'd be interesting to see how that goes in, in working with Gatland. But I think all of this adds up. And I think the line on when it's tougher than, uh, than 08 is probably one of those shots that Gatland likes to fire, personally. Um, I think he has started, started those a bit later than he usually does, but that's <laughs> probably given the, the time frame he's had to work. But I think this this just comes down to the man's been there. He's done it before. He's done it with Wales. He's had success, mostly wherever he's gone. I mean, he's worked with the king that's at Wasps. So, you know, this is why I think the public are, are kind of a lot more optimistic. You know, is is a squad of familiarity, but yet he's got, um, you know, four, four uncapped players. And you always see it every every year. There seems to be people saying this is the best, the most exciting squad we've seen for years. And then Wales lose the opening two games or something, and they go, "Ah, oh, that squad was rubbish. I knew it all along." But it it just has a bit of a positive feeling. I think it's made to feel more positive because of how negative everything has been under pivot for twenty four thirty six months or so. Mm. No, exactly. And in terms of actual predictions in terms of where you think Will's finish will go around. I'm going to go... Well, I need to remember what I said about France, so my predictions actually make sense. So, <laughs> Ireland-France. Uh, Ireland, I'm going to go England. I think Wales will finish third above England and they'll beat England at the Millennium and Principality. I think, yeah, finish third. Won't win the Triple Crown but we'll finish third and get a big win over England and then solid gets his back, feel good factor, let's crack on with the World Cup. Mm, yeah, I think tough. Like for me, I think potentially one of the, well, the game of round three is probably Wales, England, maybe. I haven't actually looked at the other round three pictures, but that game is going to be huge. I think in terms of the symbolism of 
New Era England under Borthwick versus kind of Wales under their 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 main man. So it could be it could be a fascinating game. But I think third place is up for grabs. To use it lightly, I feel like Wales could win the best of the rest. Um, you know, as a proud Irishman, and well, I mean, France are amazing. So I'd probably go. I think Wales third or fourth for Wales, depending on that England game. Robert, do you think kind of? You know, yeah, I, th- I think it's. I think thinking back to when we last spoke, I think everyone was probably penciling Wales in for fifth, yeah, and just about getting away with it. I think that's that's changed dramatically. I think France and Ireland, I think varies on who you speak to. Personally, I'm going with France, then Ireland, but I think that's kind of 50 50 across the board at the moment. I, and I'm unsure on whether we're going to see a Grand Slam or not this year. I don't quite think it's going to happen personally. Um, pre-squad announcements, and, and I think with obviously Eddie Jones going a bit more recent than, than Gatlin's coming, I, I, I was going to go England third, Wales fourth. But at, at the moment, I'm kind of tied. I think it all does come down to that, that round three matchup. And... and how well Wales going to obviously if Wales lose against Ireland, then the England result has to be winnable. But I think I think at the moment England might just sneak third. I got that feeling they're a little bit ahead of us in just where they need to be, where we're on a recovery job that's that is a bit of a thing. But I think this is where the momentum through Ireland could change. And I think opinions will change on that third and fourth spot and first and second spot, depending on how them first couple of rounds go, I don't think anybody's going to start switching sides between those two two blocks, but I think the two sides within them will start switching. And I think, unfortunately, Scotland, look, I, I'm not so overwhelmed with, with the Scottish squad at the moment. Um, and, I, and I think Italy just... Just they're not quite at the stage where they're going to start progressing any further than fifth at the table. More be more to the point because I don't think they've got more than one win in them. But I think everyone else has that ability of, of winning more than one game and, and scrapping points in in the others. Oh, I think that's yeah, a good way to wrap it. I think yeah, I think the England game will decide those two. But I'm sure Borfwick and Co will have a lot more to say. And if they get off to a good start, they'll be. Eyeing up the title and England are back and all that, but we'll wait for that. England, England preview to come, which we're always excited by. But no big thanks, Rob, for coming on again. You're starting to become our Welsh, Welsh man to go to. So big thanks again, and thanks again, Zach, as always. Pleasure, Tell. Cheers. cheers for having me on, guys. Uh, look forward to it every day. To anyone that's made this far in the podcast, follow follow us on all our platforms: Spotify at the Telfoli Podcast, Twitter Rugby Tell. Instagram Tell for Podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, we're everywhere at the Tell for Rugby. So please, follow us everywhere, and we'll catch you next week for another country to preview.